Hey, welcome to the Sanctuary Church podcast. Sanctuary Church is a family following the path of Jesus together in Providence, Rhode Island. If you'd like to learn more about our community, you can visit our website at sanctuaryri.org or check us out on social media. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope you are encouraged by today's teaching. Uh, There's a lot of research out there on the best way to die. Um, like the like death satisfaction. You know, you're talking about life satisfaction, like death satisfaction. Um, and basically, what comes up regularly is that you have a sort of set time for closure in your life, like you know it's coming. And so, oftentimes on people's deathbeds, right, you hear, you know, you hear wisdom. Not always. You hear those like last important things, that final farewell. I always find this data interesting because it's not like anyone's polling any of these people who died like on the other side. Like, was that satisfactory for you? But somehow, I'm just going to trust the data. Um, these are uh, Jesus, some of Jesus's, some of Jesus's parting words to his apprentices. If you're brand new to the way of Jesus, Jesus has these disciples, these apprentices, these folks that are mostly probably in their late teens who are walking with him learning from him. They're being told they can do what the rabbi does. And this rabbi wasn't just another teacher. He's claiming to be the Messiah, something more like God in flesh. Fascinating that as Jesus sits down in the book of John, we read this long, what's called the farewell discourse, or many theologians call it this. It's like he knows he's going to his death. He knows where this is going. Some of the disciples don't even get it or fully understand. And there's some things that he wants to impart in them. And one of those things that should be pretty clear as day when you look at that text, what was the word that came up again and again and again there? What was the word? Remain, remain, remain. Yeah, maybe in your Bible it says abide, 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 remain. Older translations use that word abide. I actually really love that. The Greek, the word there is meno, and it means make your home in or stay united with me. The Greek word was commonly used in everyday language in the time of Jesus. This isn't like some like magical Bible word that was made up. This was used all over the place. And it has all sorts of shades of meaning, but you, you'll, you, there's a very clear center point throughout it all. It's to stay, to dwell, to remain, to last, to persevere. It was used in all sorts of contexts, like daily, I mean, daily conversation that we have written down, uh, poetry, philosophy, legal documents. For example, in ancient Greek literature, the word abide or remain, this word meno, was used to describe the stability and permanence of things, such as buildings, trees, rocks, as well as like the endurance and steadfastness of people, like warriors, it was used a lot, and athletes. Uh, It's also used to describe the idea of remaining faithful or loyal to someone. So like a friend or a principal or a country. Uh, In philosophy, the word abide was used by a ton of Greek thinkers such as Plato and Aristotle to describe the idea of enduring or remaining, hear this, in a particular state or condition, such as a state of knowledge or a state of virtue or a state of happiness. In legal documents, the word abide was used to express the idea of staying or dwelling in a particular place or territory, almost like, a, think like a lease or a contract. So 
So overall, this word abide was this very versatile word in the Greek language with all these little nuances to it. But it takes on this like really specific theological meaning here, emphasizing the importance of remaining connected to Jesus. But you could stack all of those words and how that was used in philosophy and legal documents and poetry and regular conversation. And they all, right, have this same essence, obviously, with the same word, this sense of being in and remaining in. The best probably like overall picture that we have of this word as Jesus uses it is to make our home in God. I don't know what a home is like for you what it's been like or what it is now. But this is obviously not making our place in a broken home, in a home of insecurity, in a home where there's not a lot of love, in a home where there's not provision and joy. It's like, make your home in me. I don't know if you have someone in your life, a partner, a parent, a good friend, where you have something slightly synonymous with that idea. Like I've made my home in them. It's this idea of like anchoring your life, moving through your days with them. Now, where a message like this, if I can just like pull the veil back, I guess a little, a message like this um, wants to go for me often and has gone when I've preached this passage And it's not a bad question. It's like it demands this, which is why this text probably gets preached the most around the idea of, okay, that sounds great. If anybody here is a follower of Jesus and wants more love, more grace, more freedom, more joy, more beauty, more contentment in their life, right? Everybody's following away, to be clear. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're following away. You're following someone, even if that someone is yourself, which is a whole like fascinating philosophical construct because you're really not. You're following yourself as influenced by all the culture around you. But this idea that everybody's following something, as a follower of Jesus, you just simply have the faith to say, actually, I think Jesus's way is the best, most beautiful, most compelling way to be in the world. Right? Even as I say it, it brings a smile to my face. It's not about exclusivity for exclusivity sake. It's simply a way of saying there's a particular path in this world, a particular story that makes the most sense to me, that enlivens my heart. And so a passage like this, then when we read, how do I make my home in Jesus becomes, all right, here's where I launch into, here's some good ways to make our home in Jesus. This is the, basically the entire life of the Christian. And we will touch on this in a moment. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus, to make our home more and more with him, to be with him, and then allow him to change us from the inside, become like him, that inward direction, and then begin to move outward and do what he did with that sort of generosity and that sort of of blessing. And then we're to do that in community and in family, our withward direction. This is how we think about apprenticeship to Jesus. But what I want to highlight for a minute is where this text lands in the farewell discourse. Where this particular passage lands. And though for sure there is a warning here. Hey, if you don't like, stay connected to the vine, which is Jesus, the true life source, things will not go well for you. 
There's a warning and a command. If you want to stay connected with me, we hear it again in this text. You'll do what I, I say. There's a particular way of being in the world that will help root you. But I think there's something else that kind of um, hit me square between the eyes this week in preparing for this. Of where this lands and the comfort that this brings. The beginning of this farewell discourse happens in... Um, John 13, if you have your Bibles, you can just kind of like walk, walk, um, like skim this with me. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And so the evening meal was in progress. This whole, the next three chapters are Jesus sitting with his friends saying, guys, I'm gonna die. I wanna, and I'm eventually gonna, ascend. (laughs) I'm not going to be here anymore. And so he begins to talk to them. First, acknowledging that like, I want to show you what it is to actually lead in this world because you're all apprenticing underneath me because you want to be people who are aligned with the kingdom. And so he washes their feet. These are his friends who are having a hard time coming to grasp. We don't think of Jesus often as a friend. He's going to not be with them anymore. These folks have given their entire life, three-ish years of their life, to following Jesus. He's not going to be there. And he begins by going, let me show you how I see you. And he serves them and he gets down on his knees and he washes their feet. Then he predicts that one of them is going to betray them. And they're like, no, no, no way, no way. He's like, no, trust me. I know as you're grieving, you're going to be filled with so much fear and it's going to produce all sorts of shame in you, the guy that's going to like launch the whole church, Peter. And he acknowledges this and comes along them. And then if you look in 14, he comforts them then. Don't let your hearts be troubled. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you where I'm going to prepare a place for you? He gives them this assurance of their salvation. He then promises the Holy Spirit to them. There's going to be a guide that's gonna come alongside you. They're gonna remind you of everything I taught. Like as you live and walk your life out, I know you've had me in the flesh next to you. The Holy Spirit's gonna come and empower you and whisper in your ear. One of the best pictures of the Holy Spirit I've ever heard is literally like related to the race, the marathon that's happening. It's like that friend that's in the, 20th mile of the marathon who's just like ringing the cowbell and acting the fool and like throwing water at you. Like you're, I know you're about to give up. Like I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. Like cheering you on, the encourager. He says the Holy Spirit's gonna come and be with you. He's comforting them. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm sending the Holy Spirit I know some of you are gonna like betray me. It's gonna feel really hard and it's gonna feel strange, but I'm with you. I'm with you. I love you. Let me show you what I'm like. And he washes their feet. And this is then when the vine and the branches appear. It's here. If we were to zoom past this for a minute as it closes, he says, all of this I have told you so that you won't fall away. I have so much more to say to you, more than you can bear. But when that spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He is encouraging them and meeting them right there where they are. As much as this section is instruction, hey, 
don't become disconnected from the vine like these vines here, like these branches. Don't become disconnected. Don't. It won't bear fruit. It won't go well for you. Don't do it. Stay, make your home in me. Stay connected to the source. As much as there's this warning there, it's also a text of reassurance. If you're still following me, like, like put yourself into this position, sitting around this meal with these disciples. Their rabbi is about to leave. And he's saying, guys, I'm not gonna abandon you. Jesus has been their source in flesh and blood of inspiration for the last three years. He's been their power. He's been their joy. He's been encouraging them. He's been challenging them. He's been, just like this text says, he's been pruning them, shaping them. And in some mysterious way, he's saying that's not gonna change. It's almost like this passage is one of consolation. He's assuring his dismayed disciples that he is not abandoning them. It's like this radical closeness that you can have. In fact, when Jesus says, you will do far greater things, I wonder what else is wrapped up in there. Like you can actually have an even more intimate relationship with me because he says, just like I, Jesus, am in the Father, you can be in me. Now, if you have any pastor who's gonna sit down and break that down, exactly what that means, like systematically for all the type A folks, like you're out of luck. I don't, I don't exactly know, but I know I've experienced it. In fact, really the Christian mystics over the centuries have been the ones that have gotten close to being able to articulate what's happening here. In some way, I can live in constant awareness of him. Abide in me, remain in me, just like I remain in God, like we can be connected. It is literally almost as if he is telling his disciples in this moment, not just a warning, hey, stay connected. It's like, you can stay connected. You can walk through this life full of love and before the face of God and all you do, like the ancient Latin idea of quorum Deo, doing everything before the face of God. You don't have to run to another source. You don't have to rely on your own willpower and your own drive. And by extension, neither do we. It's in this very section, in this farewell discourse, or he prays, guys, would you be united? Not just you, not just would you experience the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but all those who come after you. Blessed are those who didn't actually see me in the flesh. That's us, extra blessed by Jesus. Look, I'm not gonna belabor this point here, but everybody puts down roots into something in order to produce fruit. Every person in here, unless, you, unless you're in a place of such despair right now, which, I just like, my heart goes out to you. You want to produce fruit. You want to like bear fruit. I know this is like an ancient agrarian idea, but you, you want like this little bud here on the vine that's like early in the season to turn to grapes. You, 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 you want something at the end of your life to look back on. If you have kids, man, you want to produce fruit for them. Like you, you want to be somebody whose actions are producing life. Everyone puts down roots in some kind of vine. Some trust in their connection to like important and powerful relationships to like open doors for influence. Other people put their trust in their own self-righteousness and vision, right? So that's the easiest one for me. It's like put myself in, I, I, I trust myself. I mean, I trust God, but I kind of like tack that on. It's really just me that I trust. Selfish, selfish ambition and self-reliance 
these are the things that were told in scriptures and I, I, I could build case upon case upon case for using zero Christian sources is where most people root their life. That's the vine they stay attached to. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we hear these words from James 3, but if you harbor selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, that's in quotes, does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For while you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. That's code, by the way, for not good. (laughs) You with me? I want to bear good fruit. I want to bear that Jesus fruit. I want to bear the stuff of like eulogies. I know I use this example all the time, but I just love the picture. David Brooks, right? He talks about the end of life, like that, that, that we, we want to live according to the eulogy that will be read at our funeral that we want to have read. Not one rooted in some vague and random accomplishments or how much was in our bank account. None of us, I know no one who wants that stuff read at their funeral. It's that that person was alive and kind and loving and joyous and adventurous, made everyone around them better, showed them what the love of Jesus looked like. We want to bear fruit. We are here because we want to bear that fruit. And so when we go back and look at this text, especially the end, we see he is the thing that's going to bring you love and bring you life. He is going to be the thing that is the source that we need to stay connected to. And how he does this, how he does this is just by being who he is. He has drawn near. He has made himself present. He has given all that can be given. He's just saying to his disciples, hey guys, you can keep going in this and it can get even better. Stay in me, remain in me. I'm gonna even keep pruning you. (laughs) Just maybe not always immediately encouraging. This is my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, it says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. Isn't fruit like amazing? (laughs) Like, right? Like genuinely. Like, I mean, it's not there. And then just when it's like ready, like it's there. It's like suddenly not there and you wake up in the morning and it's there. And then you cut it off and it's like, I'm back again. Like, it's just, if you cut it off like a year later, like then it's back the next year usually better than ever. It's, it's absolutely extraordinary. This natural process of fruit bearing that comes from what? From connection. If you sever it from the vine, unfortunately, thank you fairy family, but these vines will not produce any grapes. They're done. <laughs> now this is both helpful Everything we long for in terms of Christian fruit will come through intimacy with Jesus, but it's also frustrating. It's frustrating, especially for anybody who's like super like type A, like steps one through five driven because fruit's not a machine. Like fruit's not a program or a technique or a formula. You can't shortcut the fruit of being connected to Jesus. You can't. 
I think a lot of us, we want to just click our fingers and fast forward through the process, but you've got to stay connected in order for this to actually happen. That is a challenge on its own to be faithful in your intimacy with Jesus where it flows through you and ultimately bears fruit. But here's the crazy thing. When the fruit finally comes, how many feel like you're in a season where you're seeing some like fruit? Like you're seeing a freedom from anxiety, seeing some joy, you're feeling called into mission. You've rearranged your priorities to care for the poor. You're like more generous than ever. You're like, you're leaning in in a season where you're like a little more aligned with Jesus than ever before. Yeah, yeah. I love that. The crazy thing is that when that fruit finally comes so often, the father just like cuts it off and like throws it in the jar. (laughs) And you're left thinking like, where's that fruit? I literally prayed for that fruit for like three years and it's already taken away. And here's the thing about the father's pruning. It's just always him saying, I got, I have something better for you. I just wanted you to know that you could get it. I've got something better. Just abide in me. Wait for the next crop. Wait for the next crop. Keep your eyes fixed on me. I think this is such actually an encouraging thing. Because some of you right now are questioning your circumstances. Why did I lose that relationship? Why did I lose that friendship? Why did I lose that job? Why did I lose that apartment? Why am I in this situation? Now, let's be really clear, a little asterisk, like you can jack all this up. (laughs) Hopefully that makes you feel better. It always makes me feel better than like, this isn't on God. I just like sinned and that's why this happened. Make anyone else feel better, right? Like, just a little bit like, all right, this is not on God. Like, I just, he gave me free will and I jacked this up. Someone's be like, why God? I'm like, because you did the stupid thing. That's not where I'm going with this. <laughs> just needed to make sure that was in there. But I think for a lot of us, the, like the father in his love and in his care is actually pruning you. He genuinely has more for you. He has better fruit for you. This is his commitment So if you've got something good and it feels like it's being pruned away, it's only because there's more coming. And if you've had something taken away from you that was dead, it's because he doesn't want to waste your energy and your dissatisfaction on what will not bear fruit. And it's that pruning in your life that will lead to greater fruitfulness. This produces or can, if you let it, so much hope. It will cultivate intimacy in you and activate the Father's activity in your life. This fruit, by the way, it's like the fruit of your character. It's written about all over the scriptures. The fruit of the spirit, the fruit of salvation, the fruit of prayer, the fruit of ministry. And the father may then come along and prune it. I, I found this excerpt from this guy, Josh Houston. He wrote this book on John 15. He shares the analogy of Michelangelo. And he says, Michelangelo was asked about his method for sculpting the statue of David. Anyone remember this? And his reply, we did put it up, but in in an appropriate way after the bad pan picture a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here, don't ask. (laughs) And he was asked about this method for sculpting the statue of David. And his reply was that he saw, that was that he saw in the untouched marble stone, the perfectly sculpted statue as though it existed. His task was then to chip away everything that was not David. I love that picture. God wants to chip away everything that's not you, Kevin. Just Kevin, no one else. He's just always right in front of me. He wants to chip away. Like, let that fill us with hope. 
And as we keep our eyes ever before him and make our home with us, just like the disciples them, imagine them hearing this. He's been rebuking them and chipping away what's not Peter and what's not Andrew. He's been chipping away what's not Matthew, what's not John. And they're like, he's going to keep doing it. He's going to keep doing it. That which won't satisfy, that which is dead, the true self will remain. And yes, it can be painful and it can be challenging, but it will ultimately lead to deep satisfaction. So if your circumstances are difficult and not changing, God's likely attempting to change you rather than your circumstances. God's not interested in superficial fruit. He's not interested in superficial fruit. And so sometimes that takes time. A lot of times that's hard. But when it comes, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. So the call, then as far as I can see it, the call is to abide. That is the central goal, like I said before, of the entire Christian life. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear so much fruit. So much fruit. Apart from me, you can't, there's nothing like really worthwhile. Not the stuff that will last. You can do great things. Don't get me wrong. Good stuff. But it won't be the stuff that lasts. Greg McEwen wrote in his book, uh, Essentialism. I don't know if you've read this. Such a phenomenal read. Not a Christian book, but he says this. He says, there can only be, um, sorry, he said there can only, uh, there can only be uh, like one number one in your life. He says, when the word priority came into the English language in the 1400s, it was singular. It meant the very first or prior thing. It stayed singular for the next 500 years. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. <laughs> Somehow we would now be able to have first multiple things, multiple first things. Somehow now we could have a lot of first things, priorities. That's the illusion of the time in history that we live. There can only be one first thing. Jesus is like, make it friendship with me. Have one priority in your life. One part of your way of life that rules them all and shapes the rest of them. Make your home in me. There can only be one thing. If you get this one thing right, every other thing will flow from it. But if you get that wrong, that wrong not, I mean, the things that just don't matter are going to be the things that end up becoming your life. Now, we live in a society that's conspiring against your intimacy and friendship with Jesus. There's this concept of cognitive resource waste, which I'm sure all of you have read about. It's a joke. Um, in one famous experiment, they took a group of people. One group was required to memorize five numbers. One group was required to memorize two numbers. And they found that those required to memorize five numbers over the two were more likely to select cake over fruit as their reward snack. <laughs> so now, I know that may seem small and kind of stupid. But the basic point is that, they, that this study wants us to know is that each of us only have limited resources of energy and attention. And we live in a society that as soon as you wake up, it's like taking all of that from you. And so many Christians have so many good intentions, but such poor habits when it comes to making their home in God. Making their relationship with God front and center. And so they literally say, I really like, I want to and I want to know and I, I, I should. 
I'm just too busy to sit still and receive the love and power of the Holy Spirit flowing through me as a gift of God's grace. This is too much. (laughs) I just like literally don't have enough energy to receive the power of God today. (laughs) No shame. I just, it's real, right? That's because we live in a society where it's always extracting from us. And so you can only have one first thing. And so my plea with you as the pastor of this church is that you prioritize friendship with him above everything else. This is the one thing you gotta get right. And if you get this relationship right, all the fruit will come from it. He has come, he's the vine, he's the source. He can't force you to stay attached to it. Presence comes from being present. You have the ability to have intimacy with Jesus anywhere and everywhere. We know this. If you're new to the faith, maybe you don't know this. You don't have to be here in a church service to experience that intimacy. God is everywhere. You can do anything. You can access him anywhere. Everywhere can be an altar. Everywhere can be a portal to the presence of God. Everywhere heaven can break in. Everywhere because he's there. The question is, are you aware and present to it? You can be at home in him in the worst of all situations and live there. God's not gonna manifest himself outside of your life. He's gonna manifest himself inside of it. And so are you aware of the burning bushes? Are you aware, like, are you able to turn aside in everyday moments with the screaming children in the middle of class and enjoy communing with God? This idea of practicing the presence of God that comes from Brother Lawrence, which is this book that literally like transformed like hundreds and hundreds of people. Like one of the, I think next to the Bible, it's the top selling book of all time. And the whole book, this idea of being somebody who practices moving myself into the presence of God started by just a guy who was doing dishes and he just basically wondered if Jesus cares about his dishes. That was it. He just wondered like, Jesus, are you there? Do you care? And he started spending time with him as he worked in the kitchen. And he wrote this whole book that has like grabbed the attention of literally millions of people over the centuries because it is the core longing of who we are. So I wanna encourage you to just to thread your day, turn your heart as often as possible to Jesus's love. Bring whatever it is you're struggling with to him. Just bring it to him. You'd be surprised at his tender care and his tender compassion for you. Begin to weave the hunger for Jesus into the fabric of your life. Source, he's the source. And if the source is Jesus, and the power is that of the spirit and the fruit is the fruit of the kingdom of God, joy, peace, then he says you will be actually filled with that joy. Verse 11, I've told you this. Guys, I'm going away. I know you're gonna grieve. He says, I've told you all this, this whole farewell discourse, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Don't let anyone ever tell you God's not a pleasure seeker. He takes delight in us, it says, pleasure in us, in his creation, in things that are good and lovely. I mean, this is what like, half the books that are coming out right now are about in the self-help category is finding your joy. And this is Jesus' play. 
You can't just find it by white knuckling and gathering all this stuff up. You may have some practices, but those practices or those rhythms or those habits, if they're not leading you into intimacy and deeper connection, that point of contact with the vine, if it's not moving you there and strengthening that, it will not last. And honestly, don't you think it's true? No exaggeration that Providence doesn't need people with just more information about God. Man, this region doesn't need more people who are gritting their teeth into holiness. Providence needs people who are friends with Jesus, who remain in his love and distribute that love to those around them. Jesus wants you to be one of those people. And so, yeah, one of the ways we do this, like Dallas Willard famously says, the first and most basic thing that we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. Just keep him before our minds. It's really hard, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you're keeping God, you have a regular habit of, regular keeping him before our minds, like to just fall into like epic sin. You ever notice this? <laughs> I want to give like six inappropriate examples, so I'm going to bail on that. Like, like as you're about to, as you're about to move toward, as those thoughts are coming up, if you have rhythms that continue to draw your mind back to the goodness and love and grace of God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. This is the fundamental secret for caring for our souls. Our part in, to use Brother Lawrence's language again, practicing the presence of God is to direct and then redirect our minds constantly to him. It can be a challenge because we have these burdensome habits of dwelling on things that are absolute nonsense, dwelling on things that are less than God. It can be a challenge and we have these habits that just keep pulling us away. But these habits, guys, are not the law of gravity. They can be broken and a new, like grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps toward keeping God before us. Right? Soon our minds will return to God like, a, like the needle of a compass constantly turning toward north. If God's the great longing of our souls, if that's our one thing, that's our spiritual essentialism. He will become like the North Star in all that you do. Right, Willard's point is that living in a constant state of awareness and connection with the Spirit of God all day, it actually takes practice. It doesn't come naturally for us. And this is what spiritual practices do. This is why just the simple act of coming to church on a Sunday morning, hopefully this turns your attention to God. It's probably the easiest place to do that. Just getting bombarded from the front with like God, 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 stuff about God, God, God. And home church, gathering with some people around a meal and wrestling with the way of Jesus and practicing that together. These are, these are ways that we begin, practices we begin to do, but what about getting up first thing in the morning? We have something in our shared path, our shared way of life together is encouraging folks. We'll talk about this tonight, our leaders gathering, just getting up. Getting up early, taking the first 15 minutes or the last 15 minutes of your day and spending it with the Lord. It's taking time. Do you have anybody in your life you regularly confess to once a month? I have a friend I call once a month and I just tell him everything. No holds bar, everything. It's really hard sometimes. Most of the times it's easy though because your pastor's perfect. <laughs> These practices of generosity build into my life. How are we building into our life regular ways we're giving that condition us? 
hospitality? Do we open our homes regularly? These are practices that move us into God. If you're regularly opening your home to people around you into a meal that's centered on God, these little practices center you. Some of you practice silence and solitude regularly. You build it into your life. These practices don't save you. They help you wade into the water. They help you become aware of God's presence that are not an end, but they help. Spiritual disciplines are are a way to orient your life around abiding in the vine. They're a way of helping you throughout your day and throughout your week and throughout your life be present before God. Saying, God, you're here in this time and place. I have not been here in this time and place. I have been on Instagram. I've been checking my email. I have been in traffic. I have been somewhere else. But now I am here and you're here and we're together. It's important. It's a subtle shift, but this is why I say, I think this passage so often becomes, hey, disciples, make sure you stay in the vine or you're gonna like fall into the fire. And we forget that this is said to them in a moment where he is literally comforting them for three chapters. I know life is hard. Take heart. You can make your home in me. I've come so near. You're the one distracted. You're the one who's far off. And he doesn't say it with any sort of like shame. He doesn't say it with any sort of like lording over. He comes with tenderness and compassion. Guys, guys, guys. Everything else is going to produce junk in your life. Come and make your home in me. Bring me before your mind. Guys, I'm telling you, the best moments of my day are when I stop and take a deep breath and I just remember, you're here. I'm here. You're not far off. I'm telling you, if you're new to following Jesus, this could be the best part of your day. Wake up in the morning, make a little coffee. Don't even open your Bible yet. Sit there five minutes. And remember, God, God, I'm here. I know you're here. I'm here. And to begin to open yourself up. So again, let's to close. What's your source? Just just continue to revisit that question. What's your source? What's your vine? Why are you here? What are you trying to extract meaning from? What are you trying to extract power from? Be honest. Is it Jesus? It probably is a little bit of Jesus. But that, you, that connection to the vine could be so much bigger, so much stronger. It's like hanging on and you keep allowing other things to chip away at it. It's, all, it's, it's, not, it's not like getting enough, enough nutrients. If it's not, if you're here and you're like, man, this season Jesus is not the source and not the vine. I wanna just say he's so happy to swap vines with you today. <laughs> I mean, he's like, look, just put that away. Just put that away. I get it. Like the whole human heart. (laughs) You keep choosing death, but just come to me. Guys, hear this for a minute. You're weary, some of you, and some of you are exhausted. And he's just like, come to me. Come on. It's free. Remain in my love. Come make your home in me again. Come back down the road and I'll meet you. I'll fill you with my power and my life. And this will produce such joy in you because that's what I want. Do you hear even, can you for a minute trust that God's voice to you even now is saying, I want joy in your life. Sam, I want joy in your life. Tyrone, I want joy in your life. Bridget, I want joy in your life. 
I want joy in your life. Make your home in me. Remain in my love. I think some of us struggle to believe that the cross actually works. Some of you come to the city and you've gotten involved in all sorts of crap, (laughs) sinful things, surprising things. Some of you have come to Providence and you're like some things you're embarrassed of and ashamed of. And because you're relying on your own power to be a servant rather than your ability to be a friend of God and you think he's disappointed with you and he doesn't want fellowship with you and that's just not true, he will forgive you of whatever you've done. All you gotta do is just repent. Just say, Father, I'm sorry. Gosh, how could I do this? How could I think this is better than your love? It's not. I've made my home. I've made my source and some other stuff lately. Just turn back, man. He's so gracious. He will restore your intimacy in that fellowship. And as you begin to continue to turn your mind back to him, it will get stronger and stronger. If you're here today and you're not a father of Jesus and you just realize for the first time, like I am plugged into the wrong vine. (laughs) It's making me miserable. I don't want the life that you're talking about. Just say to Jesus, Jesus, be my vine. Sit literally, just start there. Just say it. I trust you. I want to trust you that you might be the source and you might be the, the power that you might be like, the, you might produce the fruit that I know I was made to produce. I can't do this on my own. You can literally just do this right now. We don't need to have like a whole moment about it. Just like do it. Just turn to him and do it. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus, be the vine. I believe you're the true vine. Maybe you're here today and you've realized like, for the first time, like I'm plugged into a very religious vine. (laughs) Like I actually know nothing about remaining in Jesus' love. I've just been trusting my performance as a servant. I've been trusting my performance as somebody is a part of the whole church thing. And I'm actually not a friend and you're tired and you need new life and you need power. And you can just say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to trust you're the true vine. Forgive me. I've been trying to earn my place in your kingdom. Forgive me for my self-righteousness. I want to trust in your grace. I realize now there's nothing I can do to earn my way into your kingdom. It's only through the cross what Jesus has done on my behalf. And just receive again that light burden. My friend John talks about this light burden and joy that comes from not having to earn your relationship from God. Maybe you're here and you're just, you're thriving. You're like thriving. You're like that joy, man, it's in me. You know what I want to say to you? Enjoy it. Just enjoy it. That's why you were born. Praise Jesus. Delight in it. And keep your eyes up for people who are struggling right now. Because they probably got some locks. This image came out of the prayer gathering. People got some locks on their heart. And you might have some keys that are meant to go and help unlock those, those locks. I end with this. Andrew Murray in his book, Holy in Christ, says, however strong the branch becomes, however far away it reaches round the home, out of sight of the vine, however far these things get from the source, all its beauty and all its fruitfulness depend upon that one point of contact where it grows out of the vine. All of it. So be it with us too. That is my benediction for us today. So be it for us too. 
that point of contact. How's that point of contact doing? So Father, we come into your presence tonight, today, and it's, it just amazes me that like here in the middle of this region, that Jesus' invitation is still such good news for tired, weary, exhausted, disillusioned New Englanders. <laughs> Jesus, we hear your voice. Your words, your voice echo through the ages and we confess tonight that you're the true vine. We confess this morning that you're the true vine, Jesus. You're the source. You're the power. You're the fruit. You're the life. And if we just open our hearts to you, we can receive this. Lord, thank you that you free us from the exhaustion of religion and the disillusionment of sin. And that you've come, Lord, to put joy in us that our heart may be complete. We trust you. We trust you today, Lord. We believe you today. We receive from you today. We receive from you today, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we pray. So the invitation for us in this moment as we close is to become aware of his presence, to be open to how he wants to minister to us. If you need to come forward and receive prayer ministry, come forward and receive his healing and his joy via someone else. You just want to come to the altar as a sign of just saying, Lord, I'm putting my trust in you. Come, come. Come, let's sing together.